Welcome to Living Fully, a podcast dedicated to enhancing your mental well-being. Each episode explores valuable insights and practical strategies to help you lead a more fulfilling life. I'm your host, Katherine Hertig. In this episode, I talk with social worker Anna Hemmons about self-compassion. Anna explains why self-compassion is so important for our mental health and gives some simple tips for how to be more compassionate to ourselves even when we make mistakes. So today I am here with Anna Hemmons and we are going to talk about self-compassion and the different aspects of that and how it relates to our mental health. Thank you for being here with me, Anna. Oh, it's my pleasure. This is one of my favorite areas to talk about. So thank you for asking me to be here. Excellent. Well, let's get right into it. Can we talk about, yeah, can we define self-compassion? What is it? Self-compassion You can break it down into different definitions, but the most basic one is it's being warm and understanding to ourselves, allowing ourselves to be human, accepting ourselves for who we are. Okay, so with knowing that, how does that tie into kind of our overall mental well-being and our our mental health? I think it's huge, Catherine. Many of us are self-critical, you know, like we have that voice in our head that's always looking for things that we do wrong and mistakes and self-compassion. I see it as like the antidote to self-criticism, that when we can when we can learn the different techniques um, and we can change the narrative that we have in our minds about ourselves. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've worked a lot with with self-compassion in my own kind of. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> mental health and, and counseling. I don't like the word journey, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's been huge. Um, so, as as a mental health counselor, mm-hmm. how do you introduce that concept of self compassion to your clients? Mm-hmm. It comes up almost naturally, I think, in sessions with clients that when, you know, that kind of self-criticism pops up, I help them to just like reframe it and think differently. I like to sometimes show a bit of an image around what self-compassion is and highlight the different parts to it um, because there's self-compassion in terms of accepting ourselves and kind of um, that part of of giving our warmth and understanding to who we are and allowing ourselves to be human. But then the other part is also what action do we take to help to take care of ourselves? And that's actually really hard, right? Right. Like, how do I take care of myself? That means I've got to make decisions for myself. That means I've got to recognize what's healthy for me in my life and what's not healthy for me in my life. I've got to figure out steps I can take forward for my benefit. Yeah, and that taking care of ourselves, it's not just getting a good night's sleep and, you know, eating a healthy meal, it can be, like you said, making decisions. And sometimes that's like, those are hard and it's not always comfortable, but it is in the, like, in the long run, better for us. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So what role does self-compassion, how do you integrate it into your work with clients? Mm, I, I think I integrated into my work with clients sometimes formally by like talking actually about what self-compassion is and sometimes just in conversation of, of being able to, to highlight certain activities or highlight certain parts. You know, for example, boundaries. How often do we talk about boundaries in therapy? I mean, that word must come out of my mouth about 20 times a day, yeah. right? And yeah. boundaries are self-compassion. So it just kind of like sometimes it's just it flows into my work it's not necessarily something like said yeah not like a conscious choice that's it yeah it just kind of like yeah I think that's because 
how much I believe in self-compassion, how much I practice self-compassion, it naturally just flows into my work. Right. You'd mentioned working with clients and kind of building an image. Now, do you mean that literally like, you know, creating a, a diagram of the parts of self-compassion or? It, it's it's an image that I that I use from, um, from a particular source that shows as like an image that helps to show the different parts. But we can absolutely draw that out for the client if necessary. Okay. What does that look like? So a a common way of seeing self-compassion is that it has these two different parts. The first part is this tender piece about accepting ourselves, being kind to ourselves, you know, supporting ourselves. That's half of it. And the other half is how can we be fierce for ourselves? Fierce? Fierce. Yeah. So how can we like stand up and protect ourselves? How can we push ourselves to kind of get where we want to be, where it's healthy for us to be? Right. And so there's an image that that kind of shows that and that I share with people. And then we break down about what does that look like in your life? So how do we practice this being tender to ourselves? What do we do differently? And what is it about being fierce that you need to do? Is it drawing boundaries? It's, It's recognizing what you need. And how can you access that? How can you how can you recognize and then give yourself what you need? Um, and how can you kind of motivate yourself to kind of push forward and change? This makes me think of one of my experiences. I I literally had a, a therapy session last night, and we were talking about boundaries and assertiveness, and that made me think of that that term you used, fierceness. Yeah. And you're right, like working on that. You know, from what from what you're saying, it sounds like that's an aspect of self-compassion, Huge. like standing up for, for myself and, you know, in situations where I feel I wasn't respected or something like that. Yes, because the purpose of a boundary is to protect you. The boundary's not there for anybody else. The boundary is there for you. So it's it's self-compassion. It's like I'm taking action to protect myself by drawing this boundary. That if somebody says this or somebody does this, here's what I do to protect and take care of me. Right. So I think in in counseling and conversations around mental health, the word self is attached to a lot of different terms, you know, self-love and self-awareness. And, you know, so how does self-compassion, how does it differ from something like self-esteem? With self-esteem... That's us thinking about where we want to be. Yeah, and it's and it's like who we think that we should be. And this can be really helpful to encourage us um, to try and to push and experience new events and to build up confidence. So self-esteem is really important. But we're aiming to be different than we are. Self-compassion is accepting who we are right now without any judgment um, and taking action to take care of ourselves and then take the steps to grow. But at the same time, we're accepting who we are. So it's not like who I am is not good enough. I've got to get to this place. I've got to push. I've got to do this. It's like, no, this is where I'm at. Right. This is the person who I am right now with with strengths and weaknesses. This is who I am right now. Okay. And I'm going to I'm going to push myself to learn and grow. But I'm accepting at the same time. Okay. So it's, it's a very slight difference. Yeah. But that's to me, that's what the difference is. It's not about who we think we should be but who we are. Right. Yeah. And I bet, I bet that comes up a lot with clients, like, you know, whether they're, they're dealing with, with depression or, you know, anxiety and those kind of intrusive thoughts. Yeah. And I think this is like a a theme in our society too, is that trying to change who we are 
right? And trying to think, this is the person who I should be. I should, that word should drives me nuts. I should do this. I should do that. Yeah. I should do this. I should do that, right? Instead of sometimes being like able to see who we are, accept it and love it for the mistakes as well as the successes, right? right? Because that's what makes us human. And I think sometimes we almost want to be like machines, you know, let's do everything perfect. Let's do everything great. I want to be different than I am. Well, let's accept who we are right now of being human. Yeah, I think, and especially like I notice in North American culture, there is, there's always that push to, to change ourselves. It's like the constant, um, always wanting to, to be better and improve. And, you know, on its own, that doesn't sound like a bad thing, but we are, we're okay the the way we are. You know, we don't always have to be striving for for the next thing. I I see that a lot, you know, when it comes to work and careers. You know, there's there's this mentality that you should always be striving to climb the next rung of the ladder or something. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, whatever role you're you're playing is still important, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I think what happens is we see where we should be And we end up sacrificing ourselves and our mental health to get to where we think we should be. And self-compassion is about understanding where we're at. It's about recognizing how we're feeling and what's happening inside of us. Um, And it's not saying, oh, you don't change and you don't move forward, but it's recognizing in in keeping with with what's right for you, what's healthy for you. And we see that so much in, in media and like definitely social media that it's like you should always be wanting something different yeah to to look a different way to have a different relationship or a relationship period to have you know yeah to have a different life when yeah I think we should probably be striving just to love the life we're living yeah yeah and that and that's and you know how hard that is because that's the opposite to what we're told and think about things like body image it's the same there of being like trying I, I shouldn't be this way I should be a different way I should push myself instead of like giving compassion and love to our bodies of being able to recognize like thank you my heart for beating every day right like thank you for the strength that you have to get out of bed every day thank you for for the strength you have to walk with me to the sea do you know what I mean like it's giving that gratitude and that love instead of that kind of criticism and that's self-compassion I could go on for hours about that idea, about like body image. I think it's ridiculous, like the message is that, I mean, all people, but I mean, women in particular, I think, and it feels so arbitrary sometimes. It's like, you know what, like the way your eyebrows are shaped actually isn't ideal and you should be doing, you know, X, Y, Z to change that. This is, this is mad. It is. And and the impact social media has on that and... I think maybe this is something we should talk about in a future podcast, yeah. Catherine. Yes, please. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think we, I could talk about this too for yeah. a really long time and, and trying to shift that perception and that view, which which we get from, from childhood, you know, from our peers, from the, the images that we see, the movies that we see. I'm 40. And so when I look back at the movies that I grew up watching, everybody has like the perfect body, right? Like everybody, you think about Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like that, like that's the male perception, but kind of muscular, very fit. And that was the image that was given to me with movies that I watched growing up. So yeah, that's, it's a good topic, Catherine, but I think it might take. (laughs) I know. Well, yeah, a bit of a detour. Um, <laughs> but a relevant one. Yes. Like self-compassion isn't about changing the way I think. It's about adding something different. And it's it's about accepting all of us, right? right. Bodies, 
our lives, all of those different pieces and giving that love and that compassion. So this is author Chris, Kristen, Kristen Neff, Neff N-E-F-F. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is she, is she a psychologist? Is she? Yep. So self-compassion has been around. Like if you think about like different religions and pieces like that, like self-compassion has been around for a very, very long time. But Kristen Neff really brought it into kind of an easier way to conceptualize and use and linking it with our kind of current lifestyles. Yeah. Like I liked how it was broken down into kind of three parts. So it's like you said, the, the kindness like to ourselves and then the the aspect of like common humanity. That's a big one. Yeah. 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 So there's three different parts that Kristen Neff defines self-compassion as. The first part is mindfulness. So that's really knowing what's happening in ourselves. You know, so for example, somebody says something and you and you're uncomfortable. It makes you feel uncomfortable. It's recognizing that. It's feeling like, oh, this is making me uncomfortable. Then that can help to guide, okay. What's the reason for that? So being mindful about ourselves and in our internal environment. There's being kind to ourselves that we've talked about. And the third part is this common humanity. And what that means for me is about normalizing being human. Yeah. We're not alone. And I say this a lot and I've probably said it like three or four times already since we've been talking about like being human and allowing ourselves to be human. We mess up. Sometimes we say things that we don't mean because we're tired, you know, or we're hungry. And, and sometimes, you know, we we fall over, we break things, all different kinds of pieces. We're human beings. Yeah. And that's the beauty. We are the complex, loving creatures, but we're not perfect. Right. Right. And so that's how I see the common humanity piece. In my own experiences, that idea has been has been really significant. I'm really conscious of my words because like after listening back to these, I'm like, look at all these filler words that I say. Well, <laughs> self-compassion. It's true. Yeah. Because it doesn't, you, doesn't sound that way because it doesn't sound that way to me. It just sounds like a natural conversation. Self-compassion. Self-compassion. What was I saying? Yeah. In my own experiences, that common humanity concept has been really significant because, you know, when when struggling with like depression and anxiety, I think a lot of people and myself included feel very alone yep. in that experience. Yeah. And and that couldn't be further from the truth. Like, yeah. You know, those feelings um are very common. So kind of knowing knowing that it it makes the experience a bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. And also for times when it's like recognizing if something's really hard. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a specific example and I can't think of one, but like when when you're going through a really hard time, being able to recognise that that's how other people would find it too, right? Like, yeah, this is tough for you. This would be tough for, and I say this a lot to my my clients, you know, like beating themselves up about, you know, finding something difficult. And I'm like, well, of course it's difficult. You've got this, 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 and this going on in your life. Like this is really hard. And so that's that kind of normalising and and the same with, with depression. You do feel alone with both depression and anxiety, but it's recognizing, no, you're not. Other people go through this too. Mm-hmm. And that's not to minimize your experience. No. But no, it's it's just to, to say other people go through this too. Yeah. Right. So we've kind of talked about how self-compassion connects in uh, when it comes to depression and anxiety. Are there other kind of mental health concerns or other reasons that people come to you for counseling where self-compassion can help? I think it helps in every... I see everybody about anything. Um, and I would say self-compassion fits everywhere. 
Yeah. You know, so you're coming because it's difficult for you to make a decision at the moment in your life. Self-compassion fits in there. You're coming because you're having a hard time body image self-compassion fits in there you know you're you're feeling worried anxious self-compassion fits there I don't think there's anywhere where self-compassion doesn't fit yeah that makes sense you know it's not like you know oh in in this situation it's not a good idea to be kind (laughs) to yourself (laughs) yeah no that doesn't fit (laughs) so when you're working with clients how do you suggest building that skill or introducing the idea of self-compassion if it's something that that they're not familiar with or haven't really haven't really tried before so first I think I would talk about how hard self-compassion is because it's the opposite to how many of us have lived for a long time like most of us have that bully in our heads has that that part of us that's always looking for mistakes right and maybe when when it's like that conditioned it's it's really hard to change that thought pattern those behaviors yeah and I've had some people that have said to me well I know I've never I've never really been given any understanding and love in my life so how do I give that to myself right like it can be a really hard piece to introduce so when we're talking I guess it sounds quite simple and quite easy but actually like everything else when you start putting it in it's tough right like it helps 100% but it's a different way than we're used to um, so I normalize that common humanity, right? I, I normalize that. Um, in terms of how to use self-compassion in our lives, one way I think is about like being your own supportive coach. Now, there are supportive coaches, there are not supportive coaches. <laughs> if I can give you a little bit of a, a sports metaphor kind of thing here. So um I don't know much about hockey, so I apologize if any of this is incorrect. I but, don't either. Okay, so. <laughs> okay. So from what I remember from social media last year, um, there were two different hockey teams that had two very different style of coaches. One had a coach that basically picked on them on the, on the team's like errors and their mistakes and nothing was ever good enough for this coach, right? What happened to that team? They tanked. Another team had a coach who really was the opposite. Right, that really kind of was, you know, they're amazing, they're fantastic. And we didn't literally say those words, but was really focusing on their strengths. Yeah. What happened? They ended up being in the playoffs and that wasn't what people had expected from that team. So I'm not saying it's completely down to the coaching, but that just made me think about like two different types of coaches that we have, right? right. Like some look at the failures and some look at the strengths. The ones that look at our strengths are the ones that get the best results. And so how self-compassion can be like being our own supportive coach, right? Like, oh yeah, I know this is hard. This is tough, but that's okay. Tomorrow's another day. Mm -hmm. Right. Or, you know, I know this is hard. This is tough, but you can do it. Right. I believe in you. Like being able to give that kind of encouragement. I know it seems almost like weird and unfamiliar, but how natural this can actually become that we start to speak in that way, in a different way to ourselves to kind of, yeah, have our own back. Right. Quite often, People say that about the value of having a relationship where somebody has your back. How can you have your own back, right? How can you be your own kind of supportive coach? A common strategy is like, what would you say to a friend? Saying that to yourself. So I think I'd probably say that to a number of clients every (laughs) week about like, so, you know, what would you say to your child? If you had a child, like, what would you say to your child? What would you say to your friend? Then how can you say that to yourself? And I sometimes get surprised looks of being like, oh, And I'm like, yeah, like, how can you say that? How different is that to what you would normally say to yourself? And that's, it's probably a bit awkward to, to kind of start 
thinking and, you know, quote unquote, speaking to ourselves that way, Mm -hmm. how do you kind of get over that hump? Do you just do it anyway? Well, I think you already do. Like I get like talking out loud to yourself, maybe, but I do that, right? Like I think there's a conversation that's happening in our mind quite often. There's some, we're just kind of like bringing it more forward and seeing it. Yeah, and so I think how do we do it? We do it through practice. So be it at the end of the day when you're journaling about something that's been really hard for you that day, then do you do you practice some self-compassion, right? In the moment when you start to practice that mindfulness of being aware of what's happening for you, how do you then support yourself? This is really scary right now, right? And there's dedicated techniques that you can do, but I think a part of it is just being able to recognise the difference in how you react to yourself, I had a counselor once um, give this really great metaphor or analogy about about making these kinds of changes. And, and they talked about, like, you know, when you go sledding on a, on a snowy hill and then, you know, you, you go back up the hill and you go down again and that the sled kind of it makes a, a track. And so it's a lot easier to to go down that same track over and over. Yeah. But when we want to change the way we think or behave, you know, initially it's like taking the sled on that untouched snow that doesn't have the track in it yet. And, you know, the first few times it might be a little, you know, a little bumpy, a little uncomfortable, but like the more you do it, the more that's ingrained and the easier it gets. I love that. And that's true, like anatomically as well, like biologically as well. Our brains are neuroplastic. What does that mean? That they change and we can focus and build our brains in different ways. So just because we've been focusing one way, we can, you can kind of change that, right? I find that really empowering. I know, knowing, me you too. Know, I yeah, love that. We don't have to be fixed in a certain way. When In these times where we don't feel like we have any power, I'm like, you can change your brain, <laughs> right? Like yeah. you really can. And even though it's uncomfortable, as you said, like it's untouched snow to begin with, the more that we do it, The other benefit, again, back to biology, is it actually activates our caregiving system in our brain and releases, like, oxytocin, the love feeling, right? So biologically, that link between brain and body, right, how we actually get a response from from treating ourselves kindly. In your experience, when when someone starts practicing self-compassion and builds that into their life, does that translate into the relationship with other people? Yeah. Like, does it does it improve relationships? Are, are people kinder to others? I mean, I wouldn't say because every single client who I see is an individual and every case is different. But when we practice self-compassion, it can change our relationships in different ways depending upon the nature of the relationships. The big part that it changes is our relationship with ourselves. But relationships with others, I think if we can learn to draw the boundaries, to recognise what's healthy for us and what's not healthy for us in relationships, that leads to healthier, more supportive relationships. Right. I remember, you know, a few episodes back, you were on about talking about healthy boundaries. That made me, uh, that made me think of that. Yeah, that's why I volunteer for that with self-compassion. You see, it's just like, yeah, it, it spreads yeah, out. It's all connected. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of touched on this before, but I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts. So there's... I don't want to say that these ideas are like a, you know, a, a dichotomy or like, you know, against each other, but, you know, we live in a, in a world with, with high expectations and, and pressures and, and, you know, we talked about the idea of improvement and change and growth. 
So how do we strike a balance between having self-compassion and acceptance, but also striving to be better? Um, That's a really important question, Catherine. And I think how we strike that balance is by connecting with ourselves and the impact that the way that we are living our lives has on us. So, for example, with expectations, if our expectations are unrealistic and are way above what is actually healthy for us, and yet we keep pushing and pushing and pushing ourselves, what does that lead to? Self-criticism and exhaustion and anxiety. Whereas if we can set, like, expectations that are understanding of our humanity that are like okay this is this is where I'd like to be right it's very different I think that's what the balance is it's about recognizing the impact that the way that you're living is having upon you and and your mental health and then looking at ways in which you can change that in keeping with Mm self-compassion I'm trying to think of a specific example I'm not very good at specific examples it would seem um but you are you are good at the uh at the metaphors, though, I remember your your one about um, the garden. Oh, yeah, with boundaries. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I also think about that idea of like pushing ourselves and, and where do we find the happy medium with self-compassion? It comes down to that idea of like who we think we should be versus who we want to be. So this is one of my, my, my key kind of thoughts in my mind is should turn it into want. I should do this. I want to do this. Okay. Right? So it changes how we perceive it. The should is the expectation. The want, well, that's listening to me. And that's listening to actually what I want in my life. Yeah. And how I therefore approach it is different. How do you work with with clients? How do you tell them how to build a practice of of self-compassion? Are there any, you know little tips and tricks that that our audience can start using? So one of the first ways is that idea about mindfulness and us learning about ourselves and what's happening for us as, as people is actually start checking in, right? I, that's what I call it. I call it a daily check-in of almost like throughout the day when you have your morning coffee, when you have your lunch or your food at lunchtime, any breaks you have during the day, literally take like 10, 20 seconds and just say to yourself, how am I doing? And it's really interesting when you do that, you're sitting like, oh, I'm hungry. Haven't eaten for the past like <laughs> five or six hours. Or I'm feeling really sad right now. I wonder why that is. Or I'm exhausted. Oh, maybe then I should make a change to what I've got planned for the afternoon. Right? So if we check in with ourselves, we can really, that can help us to then make decisions based with self-compassion, looking at what we need and what's happening for us. Yeah. But that's really hard. We spend our lives focused on other people and things outside of us. Right? So learning, and it's just literally 10 or 20 seconds. Like just as, as I've demonstrated there, it takes just checking in. How am I doing? Asking yourself that. Right? And listening to the answer. And then maybe that might help you to think about changes that you can make throughout the day. So what I've heard about mindfulness is a really sitting with and accepting whatever feeling you're experiencing. And these examples that you brought up in that check-in, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm feeling a bit sad for like, let's take that for an example. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not a nice feeling to go through. So I don't know. I struggle with that idea of, of sitting with that emotion and not resisting it. Mm. How do we do that? There's no nice. There's not like good or bad emotions. This is like a, a perception that we've put on them, 
right? That there are these positives and these negatives. And it's yeah. it's just being like, no, this is what's here. It's not good. It's not bad. What do I need? Right. Yeah. I'm feeling sad right now. That sucks. I like that um, that mindset, just recognizing it. And what do you, what's that telling you? What do you need? And that takes us away from being human if we try not, you know, that common humanity and that mind, to, to not experience all of being human right like oh no no you can only feel the happy you can only feel the happy emotions you can't feel you can't and it's like but you're human yeah right like a dog gets sad a dog gets happy (laughs) well they do right like this is all just kind of part of, of of living and I think part of us tries to not truly live right and it's like no that that's and if I work with kids I'll say something like, sad is not bad. I'll turn it into a little bit of a rhyme, right? Like, sad is not bad. Yeah. Right? Like, live your, show your experience. Acknowledge your experience. Yeah. With no judgment. Yeah, like those feelings. I mean, it might not always be enjoyable, but it is part of that human experience. And you're not really going through it all if you don't feel all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Sad is not bad. Sad is not bad. And the other piece in terms of like, strategies for for people something that sits with me is about how often in our lives we rely upon or we like validation from other people so external validation right somebody else telling you oh you did great at that right and how that helps us it's almost like we believe the words of other people more than our own experience which when you say it out loud it it sounds silly but yeah I'm so so guilty we all are we all are and so in terms of like a strategy or something it's almost like how can you give yourself the internal validation so how can you say these things to yourself instead of needing to hear them from somebody else right right so how can you say yeah that was tough did good yeah right because something that self-compassion helps us to do is to continue to face some uncomfortable moments. So here's an example, right? Like I I give a presentation at work and that kind of self-critical part of me is just looking for what I did wrong. I mumbled. I didn't say things clearly. I said the words wrong. I wasn't stood up straight. How likely am I to feel comfortable doing it again? Yeah, not likely. Whereas if I can say, that was really tough, right? Like that, that was really hard. But look, you did it. You got through the whole thing. And maybe there are a couple of pieces that you were, were, were not as good as others, but you still got through the entire thing. I'm proud of you. Then how likely are you to do it again? Yes, much more likely. <laughs> right? So yeah. that's kind of the difference of, yeah, how we can change the way that we see certain things. So Anna, can you can you talk about any societal factors that, that might play a role or influence the way we perceive and, and practice self-compassion? Absolutely. One of the ones that stands out the most to me is this idea that self-compassion is selfish. And I I do hear this from from my clients, like that can be the way that it can be perceived. And selfish to me is lacking consideration for other people, like not having regard for other people. Yeah. And so does accepting yourself and taking care of your needs mean that you have no regard for other people? Right? It's not like an either or an or yeah exactly it's an and yeah right it's being able to say you're really important in my life like I really care about you and I need to do this Mm -hmm. right so it's for my own well-being it's not an either or an or it's an and so I think that's really important 
yeah, taking care of yourself and what you need doesn't mean you're not going to, to, you know, take care of your kids, take care of your That's friends. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't value other people. It doesn't mean you don't have regard for other people. It's the same as like, I've seen a thing that um, it said, if self-care is selfish, if being assertive is aggressive, if being confident is arrogance, then your comfort zone is not a good indicator. And so what that means is that we we sometimes think, no, I can't be assertive because it's aggressive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or I can't be, be confident because that just means that I'm arrogant. Or self-care is selfish. Really? Right? Like your your comfort zone, like the idea of like what we're familiar with isn't mm-hmm. necessarily a good indicator, right? And it's the same here with like self-compassion. Self-compassion is selfish, right? No. So I, tr- I feel that's a really important message that self-compassion is the opposite of selfish. Um, Completely. Yeah. yeah. Thinking about like that, that common humanity aspect of it, how can like an individual kind of encourage you know, a culture of self-compassion, whether that's in their families or workplaces or communities? Yeah, I think a part of that is almost like role modeling self-compassion, if you know what I mean. Like when some, when you see that somebody, your daughter comes home from, from school um, and her grades are not like perfect or they're not like, and, and she's upset, then you can be able to validate that to help her to accept, okay, yeah, this, I can, I can see that you're upset about getting these results, but you, you tried your best. Congratulations. Yeah. Right. And, and thank you for bringing these results to me and congratulations in trying so hard. Right. Those messages are probably super important when it comes to younger children, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. So instead of, having these expectations that as children we learn to meet and that continues into our adulthood, it's it's congratulating them, right? It's pointing out the positives, not pointing out the negatives, right? Like treating themselves like, again, like that supportive kind of coach. Yeah. Right? And I would say that goes into other relationships too, of just like your husband um, unloads the dishwasher, right? And so you acknowledge that. Right. And you say, thank you so much for doing that. That's I mean, that's not quite self, but it's almost like that idea of acknowledging the positives in somebody and helping them to feel good about themselves. Well, yeah. And it can it can start with something little like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just modeling that understanding and that acceptance to them. So when they're feeling critical about themselves, how can you show them a different way? At least I unloaded the dishwasher. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I could see that that being really applicable in workplaces as well, like a, you know, a leader kind of modeling yeah. self-compassion. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, in like, you know, that team setting, compassion probably leads to better results. So. Yeah. And I think in terms of like a leader, part of that is also acknowledging their experience, you know. So if, if a leader is, is able to say, this is this is tough, like getting these sales targets this month, I know this is really hard, right? Like actually acknowledging that, I think yeah. is, is a because then you, that's kind of like that common humanity. It's like acknowledging that this is hard or whatever. Right. Um, or acknowledging their own experience of being like, I found this incredibly, you know, this, this was tough for us today. Um, but you know, like acknowledging their own experience. Yeah. As we, you know, as we kind of wrap up, are there any like key takeaways or pieces of advice um, you'd like to offer our listeners about self-compassion? Being your own supportive coach. 
right? Like treating yourself the way that you would treat somebody else and learning how we can take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Anna. Thanks for this great Mm -hmm. chat. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Living Fully, a Calgary Counseling Center podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This episode was produced by Nick here, Louisa Campos, and by me, Katherine Hertig. A special thanks to Anna Hemmons. To stay up to date on our latest episodes, be sure to subscribe. We're available in your favorite podcast app. Living Fully is a production of Calgary Counseling Center and recorded in Calgary on Treaty 7 territory. Living Fully podcast is not a substitute or alternative for professional care or treatment. Calgary Counseling Center and Counseling Alberta provide effective counseling for anyone in Alberta with no waitlist and no financial barriers. Find us online at calgarycounseling.com or counselingalberta.com. For help across Canada and the United States, call 211. If you are outside of Canada and the U.S., seek help from your general medical practitioner. <laughs>